If you have a Bible, please open up to Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to pick up this morning. We've been in a series walking through the book of Colossians. I hope you've enjoyed the devotionals that are on the app or you can get the book in the bookstore. And as we started this conversation, we started by looking at uh, our new life in Christ. One day Jesus is going to make that pronouncement of Revelation 21.5, behold, I make all things new and all things at that point will be made new. In the meantime, whenever we come to know him and follow him, we are radically changed on the inside and we become a new creation. And so we've been talking about your new life in Christ. We started by talking about your new life goal, about how your new life goal is to live out and live in the will of God. And then we talked about your new life pattern, how the, we have a pattern uh, of living in faith and living out love. We live in faith toward Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We live that out in love and service to others. We talked about your new prayer life. We talked about the benefits of prayer. And then we, uh, this past Wednesday, we talked about uh, our new relationship with Christ, how that Christ has that place of supremacy above all things, not just here on earth, but all things in the cosmos. And we saw Christ's role in creation and also Christ's role as head of the church. And if you see this progression that's taking place here, where Paul is writing about prayer, which we have to be people of prayer if we're going to live for him and serve him. And then he goes into this high passage of talking about who Christ is, his position in creation, his uniqueness in creation, his uniqueness even in the church. Now we're going to see Paul lay out an example of ministry. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about your new ministry because you have one. You see, every person who is a follower of Christ, every person, if you are a Christ follower, then you have an assignment from God. And for you to complete that assignment that you have from God, it mean, you have to get in agreement with God. And when you live in agreement with God, that's when you are aligned with him. But this assignment that the Lord has for you God gives you gifts, he gives you talents, he gives you skills. Not only that, he gives you opportunities in order to do what it is that he has called you to do. But again, the key to living out that assignment is to live in agreement. Now, the biblical word for agreement is the word covenant, covenant. Whenever we live in covenant with God, whenever we live in covenant, we're living in complete agreement with two things for one reason. Those two things are, we say, yes, Lord, you have a will for my life. And yes, Lord, I want to live out that will according to your ways. I want to live in your will according to your ways. And the reason why I do that is because I trust the wisdom of God. We want to live in God's will and how we do that. We want to live that out God's way. And we do both of those because we trust God's wisdom. So today I want to talk about your new ministry. And what Paul gives us here by example is something so powerful. And so I want to give you five unpopular truths, unpopular truths about serving God. I think we see them here because there's something that is within us as fallen human beings that actually wants to rebel against the work that the Lord not only wants to do in us, but that he wants to do through us. So five unpopular truths about serving the Lord. Number one is this, is that when I agree to serve I actually agree to suffer. When I agree to serve, I'm agreeing to suffer. Now, that's so unpopular, isn't it? I mean, most of the time, 
uh, well, the truth is, we're addicted to comfort. We are absolutely addicted to our own comfort in life. We set up our entire life as much as we possibly can or as much as we can pay for. We set up our entire life in order to make us comfortable in some way. Everybody just do this. Okay. Good. I don't, I, I don't want you to lie in church. Okay? <laughs> but we do. And, and, and that's why this is unpopular, because when we sign up to serve, when we say, Lord, I want to live in your will according to your ways, because I trust your wisdom, when we sign up to serve in that way, we need to understand we're actually signing up to suffer as well, because that's a part of it, because serving is costly. Here's what Paul says in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Notice that. He, Paul is rejoicing because something's happening. This kind of suffering that he is going through for their sake and serving them is producing something. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now notice what Paul is saying. Paul says, I need to grow in a particular way. I need to grow in my affections for this thing called the body, the church. I need to grow in my devotion to this thing called the body that is the church. And so Paul is saying, in my suffering, what it's actually doing is it's bearing fruit in me. My suffering, put it this way, my afflictions are growing my affections. My afflictions are growing my affliction. So, so when, he, when he looks at Christ, he sees the one who suffered and died for the church. So for Paul, in suffering for the church, in any way, in suffering for the church, he knows that his affections then for the church, his devotion to the church is growing and becoming more like Christ. He's saying, I want my affections to be just like that of Christ. I want my devotion to the church to be just like that of Christ. And Christ is the one who suffered and ultimately died for the church. Therefore, the road to my heart beating for the church the way Christ's heart beats for the church is the road of suffering. So when I sign up to serve, I'm signing up to suffer in some way. Now again, not popular, but here's the thing. You don't love something. You don't really love something until you're willing to sacrifice for it. You don't. You don't love something like agape love, self-sacrificing love. That's how God defines love. You don't really love something in God's eyes until you're willing to sacrifice something for it. But the sacrifice then fuels your affections for that which you are suffering. That's why when people say, I love the church, I love the church. Like, do you love the church right now? Are you like actually actively loving the universal church right now? That means the question is, what's, what are you sacrificing for the church right now? That becomes the question. Let me put it another way. How are you spending yourself in service for the church right now? How are you spending yourself? You see, serving is costly. It will cost you time, effort, energy, resources, all kinds of things. And Paul says, I want my affections to grow for the church, this thing called the body of Christ, the way Jesus, is, Jesus has affections. For it. I want my affections to match his. Therefore, the road I must walk is a road of service, and a road of service is a road of suffering. Number two is this, is that when I agree to serve, 
I agree to steward what God has given me. When I agree to serve, when I agree to serve, I agree to steward what it is that God has given me. Now, again, we don't like this. It looks good on paper, I get it, or a screen. It looks good up there. But we actually don't like this because we really don't like the concept of stewardship. We prefer ownership. We'd prefer to own it, right? But notice what Paul says here. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Now, two things we have to understand if we're going to understand this word stewardship. The first one I've already mentioned, it is ownership. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. Therefore, we believe that you have a calling on your life, that you are called to be a priest in Christ's kingdom, that you are called to be in ministry, that you are called to serve in some way, and God gifts you and gives you opportunities to do that. And that's a gift from the Protestant Reformation. We believe the priesthood of all believers. However, while we're called into service, while we're called into ministry, we do not own the ministry. The ministry is not ours. God owns the ministry. We're just called to steward it for a short time. Notice I said for a short time. You may be sitting there thinking, well, I've served in my role for 40 years. Good for you. That's very short in light of eternity. We are called to steward it for a short time. We have to understand that he owns it. But not only do we have to understand ownership if we're going to understand stewardship, we have to also understand who is the beneficiary of our ministry. Notice that Paul said, this church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, Paul says. Whenever we're given a ministry, whenever God calls us into service, we don't own it. And also, the benefit is not for us. The benefit is for others. So whatever it is that God has called you to do, in whatever way God has called you to serve, just remember, you're not the beneficiary of it. It's not to primarily bless you. Now, I hope you are blessed in serving. That's a byproduct. But the goal is not for you to be blessed. The goal is for you to be a blessing to other people. So your ministry then, the totality of your ministry of how you serve the Lord, your ministry includes the means by which you do what you do, what you actually do, and why you do what you do. That was clear as mud, right? Your ministry is the means by which you do what you do. All of the tools, all the resources, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the gifts, all the graces, all the talents, all the skills, everything that the Lord gives you. The means by which you do what you do. Your ministry is also what you actually do, the execution of the ministry and how you serve other people. But your ministry is also why you do what you do, what motivates you, the heart behind what you do. And all of that, my friends, we steward. You steward your gifts and your talents or you waste them. You steward the opportunities where you get to serve other people or you waste them. And you steward your own heart so that it does not become hardened and jaded as you serve or you lose it. So when we are called to serve, yes, we are called to suffer, 
but we're also called to steward what God has given to us. We don't own it, and we're not the beneficiaries of it. Number three is that when I agree to serve, I agree to relay what has been revealed. I agree to relay to others what has been revealed to me, which means in serving and doing ministry, we are not the main attraction. We are not the subject of our ministry in that sense. Paul goes on here. He's talking about this body, that is the church, which he became a minister of according to the stewardship from God that was given to me, he says, for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Notice that Paul says here that this stewardship that he has from God that is for them is to make the word of God fully known. By the way, yes, this is the word of God, right? Yes. But also, the word of God is ultimately a who, not a what. A who, not a what. Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word is a person, not just a thing. And so when he says to fully make the word of God known to them, it's not just knowing some history. It's knowing a person. It is knowing Jesus himself. And no matter how we serve, no matter what it looks like, no matter how God has gifted you, every one of our ministries has one message, and that message is Jesus himself. And that is a message that will never change. While the means change and the methods change, and we all have a variety of gifts, we all serve God in different ways because we're all gifted in different ways, yes, 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 there is variety there, but there is only one message, and it does not change. And that message is about a Messiah who went to a cross, who went to a tomb, who was raised on the third day, who ascended to the right hand of the Father. That message does not change. Now, I say that because there are some today who will say, well, God is progressively revealing himself. And God is progressively revealing himself because God is evolving. Oh, yeah. yeah like, like I've had professors tell me that. God is progressively revealing himself because God is evolving, meaning God is learning in some way, and so God is changing always. My friends, that is not true. Jesus said, or we said about Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not change. He is absolutely consistent. He is absolutely perfect in his holiness, in his majesty, in his wisdom, in his knowledge. And yes, he has revealed himself absolutely, but he is not changing. And that is the message that we have to offer to the uh, changing world. The world is constantly changing around us, but we have a Savior who does not change. So we relay what has been revealed. And the message of your ministry while it may look very different than other people's, is the same. It is Jesus himself. So when I agree to serve, I suffer. Yes. I steward. Yes. I'm relaying what has been revealed. Yes. But number four is this, is when I agree to serve, I agree to serve all people. I agree to serve all people. Now again, we see a statement like that on a screen, just like that one, and we say, well, of course. Well, of course we're going to serve all people. The truth is, is we're pretty tribal. We want to be around people who look like us, think like us, act like us, feel like us. We do. We do. 
But there is a gospel call that is larger than any earthly identification group. There is a gospel call beyond that. Paul puts it this way. He says that he is making known the word of God fully to them. This mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints, verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery, he says. And he says, this mystery has now been reve <coughs> revealed excuse me, among the Gentiles. Think about that. This is absolutely revolutionary thinking in a first century world for a Jewish man to write that. But he says, no, the mystery has now been revealed to the Gentiles. And this mystery is Christ in you, in them, the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not the hope for glory, the hope of glory, right? As I said Wednesday, we do not hope for the future, we hope from the future. Christ in you, he is the hope of glory. But notice again, he mentions the Gentiles here. There are three mysteries, if you will, revealed in the New Testament. They are all foreshadowed in the Old Testament. They are all spoken of in the, New, uh, the Old Testament. They're all in the Old Testament point toward the New Testament, but in the New Testament they are revealed, three of them. One is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God would save the world by sending his son to die on a cross, be buried, be raised again, and he would send to heaven. So the mystery of the gospel. The second mystery is that this mystery of the gospel is for the Gentiles. He even says it here. That not only did God send his son to die on a cross, be buried, raised on the third day, ascend to heaven to die for the Jews. No, he, he did that for the Gentiles. Mystery revealed. The third mystery is the mystery about what happens at the end of the age, what we call end times. We may get to that next year. We may do a series on Revelation next year. Does that sound like fun? <laughs> yeah. Y'all be coming here with charts and everything else. That'll be great. But three mysteries revealed in the New Testament. Here is one of them. And we need to understand that when we sign up for gospel service, we sign up to serve all people, even those who don't look like us, think like us, feel like us, act like us. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It is for all of us, which means there is no one exempt, no one is left out of our service. Point number five is this, is when I agree to serve I agree to take responsibility for my brothers and sisters. Did you hear that in the baptism earlier? You were asked a question, not just the parents. That child is now your responsibility if you're a member here. Raise your hand if you're a member here, please, if you don't mind. Okay, good. That child is now your responsibility. Everyone who joins Fraser, if you go to the membership class, which you have to go to the membership class, by the way. <clears throat> but everyone who joins and goes to the membership class, I, I make this statement. And the statement is, when you join this church, you were saying, church, you are now my responsibility. And we, the church, are saying, you are now our responsibility. That's what the church is. And we have to take that responsibility because we serve with and alongside one another. This is how Paul puts it in verse 28 and 29. He says, him, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature 
in Christ. He says our goal, the goal of everything we do is to help each other as brothers and sisters be presented before Christ, mature before him. Paul goes on in verse 29 and says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This is the whole reason why I do what I do, Paul says. I want you to be presented mature in Christ. And the same thing is true for us. We have to take this responsibility for each other. Serve in such a way that helps other people, helps brothers and sisters in Christ become mature before him. We don't want to serve just like to make ourselves feel good. Right? And and we certainly don't want to serve and act like we're the beneficiaries so we get something out of it. Good, I hope you do. But the ultimate goal is that we would help each other mature so that we may help each other be presented before Christ, mature just as he has called us to be. And so here's the thing. We all have an assignment, every one of us. But if we're gonna complete that assignment, we have to get in agreement with God. We have to understand the covenant that we are in, that God has a will. He has called us to live in that will a certain way, God's ways, and we do that because we trust his wisdom. And here's the thing, when we truly trust his wisdom, we will serve. When we truly trust his wisdom, we will serve even though we suffer. When we truly trust his wisdom, we will serve even though we're just stewards, we don't own it. When we trust his wisdom, we'll relay what he has revealed instead of thinking we have to come up with some message on our own. When we trust his wisdom, we will truly serve all people. And when we trust his wisdom, we'll take responsibility for one another, that we may link arms and serve together. And here's how I want to close this. I'm not going to ask you to serve, by the way. I will later in the year. (laughs) I want to ask you to remember. You see, people who serve and serve for all the right reasons are people who know and are grateful for what Christ has done for them through others. I think people who really serve, who give of themselves in some way, these are people who can remember what Christ has done for them through others. And that's what I want to ask you to do. And so if you don't mind, bow your head. I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think how you have been blessed because someone else sacrificed some time, sacrificed some energy and attention, maybe even resources, so that they could serve you and you could know him. And I want you to let that memory and those people inspire your heart so that you may turn around and dare make the sacrifices needed to serve others. So let's pray to that end. Lord, would you help us right now? Just think about all the saints who have gone before us. Some of them are in glory. They're not here anymore. Some of them are still alive. But Lord, would you help us right now Think about the people who've poured into us 
And Lord, as we think about those moments, may that ignite a gratitude in us that we cannot deny it was you. And Lord, I pray that as we think about those who have poured into our life, those who have helped us get to where we are today, wherever that may be, Lord, would that inspire our hearts and our minds that we may do the same for others. Lord, let us not just be a consumer of religious products or spiritual handouts from people. Lord, we critique people who want handouts all the time in our culture. Forgive us as the church for just wanting spiritual handouts. We just want to receive, but we don't want to give. But Lord, may we remember the faces and the names of the people who poured into us so that we may pour into others. May we realize that we're all beggars in need of heavenly food. And someone's given that to us. May we give it to others. Do you help us do that, Lord? Help us remember. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. Amen.